0: Welcome to the Vespasian Warner Public Library District Podcast. The first courthouse in DeWitt County, Illinois, was a log cabin workshop owned by Elmer Lane Weber and stood on East Woodlawn Street in Clinton. It was there that Abraham Lincoln and Stephen A. Douglas represented Spencer Turner, the first person ever tried for murder in DeWitt County. The second courthouse was a brick building built in the middle of what is now Mr. Lincoln Square in Clinton in 1849. This was the courthouse in which Isaac Wyant shot Anson Rusk to death. It was also the courthouse in which Patsy Devine was found guilty and sentenced to hang. Less than 50 years after it was built, it was torn down and replaced by a third courthouse in 1893, a Romanesque revival-style building designed by Henry Elliot, who designed similar courthouses for Jersey, Green, Edgar, and Pike counties around the same time. This building would stand until 1987. Naturally, a building in use for that long collects some history. The cornerstone of the courthouse was laid at the northeast corner of the building on July 6, 1893 with a ceremony. It included multiple items donated by residents of the county, including an invitation and program for the courthouse cornerstone celebration, a piece of tobacco found in the attic of the old courthouse before it was torn down, thought to be laid there by workmen in 1849, two pictures of the old courthouse with Sheriff Murphy and other officers, a photograph of B.F. Brown, the photographer who presented the pictures of the courthouse, a list of judges of the 7th district, a people's party ticket with a picture of James B. Weaver on one side and one of James G. Field on the other, a Masonic mark donated by John Allen Ferris, a small box which contained a mini ball, a type of bullet used during the Civil War, picked up from the battlefield at Knoxville, Tennessee, and donated by Mrs. A.K. Wyckoff, a $100 bill issued on April 6, 1893, donated by C.P. Graham, a member of Company B, 94th Illinois Volunteer Infantry, a personal card of A.H. Barber dated 1891, a list of all the old soldiers in the county, copies of five newspapers, the Clinton Public, the Clinton Register, the Weldon Record, the Waynesville Signal, and the Illinois State Register of Springfield, a state bank bill issue of 1853 donated by Phil Clark, a photo of the Clinton Band, a premium list of the DeWitt County Fair, an English shilling donated by James Gibson, a Columbus badge donated by J.H. Smith, and a Continental $50 banknote issued in 1778 donated by Captain J.M. North. According to reports, 10,000 people from DeWitt County and the surrounding areas attended that day. The building was officially finished and dedicated nearly a year later on July 4, 1894. Featuring three floors and a basement, the courthouse served as the offices of the county clerk, circuit clerk, county treasurer, state's attorney, judges, the sheriff, probation officers, and various county superintendents in addition to the courtrooms on the second and third floors where circuit court and magistrate cases were heard. However, as early as 1946, hardly 50 years after its construction, did the issue of space begin to become a problem. The courthouse served as a central storage location of all of the county clerk and circuit clerk records. This includes property deeds, land records, mortgages, military records, birth and death records, marriage certificates, voter registrations, the minutes of every court proceeding and judgment, as well as a host of law books and files for the judges to use. Most of the records were kept in bulky binders. However, volumes of records also fell victim to time. In the 1950s, more than 20 volumes were restored by Lester Rausch, a representative of the American Bindery and Supply Company of Minneapolis, he did his work right there in the courthouse, utilizing a small office to rebind the volumes in an intricate process of removing the backs of the books, freeing the pages from a strip of tape, carefully scraping off the glue, and then retaping and gluing the pages, pausing at intervals to press the new contents under a 50 pound weight before finally rebinding them in new leather covers. The process could take up to three days per volume. But as much as these records deserve to be preserved, the reality was the lack of space in which to house them all. In 1946, one entrance of the courthouse, the North Porch, was bricked up to create a storage vault, but it wouldn't be long before that too would become cramped. In 1963, the South Porch was also enclosed, though at less expense. Within two years, that vault was considered woefully inadequate. In the late 1950s, the county purchased microfilm equipment, which cost about $3,500 at the time. They housed it in a small office of its own with a full-time operator. At that point, the county had accumulated 600 record books with more than 490 pages each, as well as an estimated 30,000 marriage, birth and death records. In order to record it all to microfilm, it was estimated to take about 300,000 pictures in about one year. Now, a large bound volume could be replaced by a single drawer of thin cards. However, this didn't solve the space crisis. Four offices that were supposed to be housed in the courthouse ended up moving to other locations. The sheriff maintained an office in the jail instead, his courthouse office being used for probation. The state's attorney used his own private office for his county business. The superintendent of highways moved his office to the front portion of the county highway garage, and the Bi-County Health Unit moved the Dewitt staff to an old bank building a block east of the square, while the Pyatt staff were housed in the courthouse in Monticello. From the outside, the courthouse looked like a solid structure, though the Bell Tower had been removed in 1946 due to concerns. On the inside, however, preference and lack of maintenance showed. The second floor courtroom and jury room were well maintained, of course, with updated tile floors, benches, lighting, and paneling, as well as new tables and chairs in the jury room. However, by 1965, the third floor, which contained the circuit court galleries, had been sealed off to use as storage space. The stairs that led to the floor were dimly lit and dangerously twisting, an accident waiting to happen. The basement was another kind of horror show. Housing the public restrooms and the furnace room, the men's room was accessible by a set of treacherous stairs. The foundation was in terrible looking shape and the sandstone ledge was chipping away. The wash basin was nothing more than a wide, dirty sink with a spigot. The women's restroom wasn't much better. In fact, it was only accessible from the outside of the building. In addition to the restrooms being in a deplorable state and the only furnace room access being through the men's room, the rest of the basement layout was terribly confusing. With all of the nooks, crannies, and hallways, it was easy for a first time visitor to become lost. By the mid 1960s, talk had begun of either renovating the courthouse or tearing it down to make way for a new county building. And this debate would continue for nearly two decades. In September of 1965, Clinton Chamber of Commerce representatives Dr. Harold Weinberg, John Stokesbury, and Don Evans asked the Board of Supervisors to consider a new county building which would replace the courthouse, jail, and sheriff's office. Their main point? Lack of space. In addition to the futility of spending money on a building they considered obsolete, and the logical point that many of the records housed in the courthouse at the time were irreplaceable and deserved to be in a fireproof building, They also made the point that a new county building may be necessary in order to keep Clinton as the county seat, as at the time there was talk of the state merging counties. Their position was later backed up by John Warner in a letter to the editor that appeared in the Clinton Daily Journal in October of 1965. He acknowledged the feeling of sentiment towards the building as many older residents remembered when it was built, but the need for a new building was greater than nostalgia. His solution to the problem was novel and would, in his mind, solve two problems occurring at the same time. As it happened, the high school was also considered to be obsolete. His solution was to build a new high school on the edge of town with an adjoining athletic field, parking lot, and campus, and then use the old high school as a new courthouse. Even though the high school was considered to be something of a fire hazard, Mr. Warner felt that it would be easier to evacuate a few adults over a sizable number of children, and the county could afford to install fireproof vaults for the records. He also pointed out that moving the courthouse to the high school would help ease traffic on the square. However, there was a strong push to remodel the existing building. Aside from the nostalgia factor, in a direct contradiction to Mr. Warner, County Board Chairman James Higgins pointed out that tearing down the courthouse could have a detrimental effect on the businesses of the merchants of town. With the promise of revenue sharing funds in the early 70s, it seemed that the remodel would win out. In August of 1973, one remodel bid estimated that a five-phase remodeling project would cost a total of $400,000. In November of that same year, it was estimated that a new tri-level courthouse would cost $690,000. While the structure of the building was considered durable, the inside was in desperate need of improvement. The remodel plans included the addition of a courtroom on the south side of the building, a renovated basement that would include a sheriff's office, a holding cell, and space for supplies and storage. The first floor plans included two courtrooms and court-related offices as well as the county clerk and treasurer offices. And the third floor would include additional space for the jury commission, the county school superintendent, the state's attorney, and the supervisor of assessments. However, there were concerns that the revenue sharing wouldn't last long enough to pay for the remodeling or new construction. There was also opposition to raising taxes or using bonds. And of course, there were continued complaints that any renovations wouldn't be able to adequately address the space issue. At a DeWitt County board meeting in October of 1973, Judge John Schonkweiler stated that the number two courtroom shouldn't even be used as a courtroom and that there was a demand for adequate courtrooms, a jury room, a probation office, a law library, judges chambers, state's attorney's office, and adequate restrooms, none of which the building would be able to accommodate with any remodel. At the time, Dewitt County had the largest caseload of the Sixth Judicial Circuit and the worst facilities. At the same meeting, concerns were again raised about the possibilities of counties combining and Clinton losing its place as the county seat due to a lack of an adequate courthouse. But as with the remodel, there were questions about how to finance the building of a new courthouse and no good answers. The debate between remodel and new building would continue for the next few years, but by the next decade a decision would be made. With looming federal mandates, the importance of a new courthouse and jail grew. Other courthouses and jails had already been shuttered and the county didn't want theirs to be next. By 1980, it seemed the decision had been made to construct a new courthouse on Washington Street across from City Hall. However, this decision wasn't without its own issues. The Dewa County Board initially voted to remove the first architect in charge of planning the new courthouse, at first citing the proposed cost, $5-6 million, dollars, and then revealing it was because they were displeased with repair work he'd done on the old courthouse, specifically a pole used to brace a sagging truss for which the city was billed $3,000, a cost they felt was severely inflated. However, the Public Building Commission rejected the dismissal and at a meeting in May of 1980, insisted that the architect stay on, defending his reputation. In an attempt to reduce the cost of the proposed new courthouse building, initial plans were scaled back, removing some of the space requests, such as personal restrooms and conference rooms, and reducing the size of other spaces, as well as offering alternative plans featuring the building without an ESDA office, which would reduce the cost to around $4 million, and a building without an ESDA office and a jail, which would reduce the cost to around $2.9 million. However, there was still public debate over the building. In November of 1981, an advisory referendum was added to the election ballot about whether or not a new courthouse should be built, though the county board would not be bound to the results. In March of 1982, the voters had to decide whether or not to approve a bond to build the $2.5 million courthouse The Dewitt County Board favored the build, believing that a new building would be a better investment than renovations on the then 89-year-old building. $2 million would be spent building the courthouse and $500,000 would be used to acquire and improve the proposed site. Interest from reinvesting the bond would be used in part to augment the interior furnishings from the old courthouse. But the Dewitt County Taxpayers Association opposed it, citing that the proposed one-story building would be harder to heat and cool than a multi-story building, and that the intended site for the new building already had drainage problems, something a flat roof would exacerbate. They continued to push for remodeling the old courthouse as money became available, and using other buildings for office space. It was believed that remodeling the old courthouse to keep it up to code would cost the taxpayers less per year than building a new courthouse. They also continued to question the funds that would be required to build a new courthouse. But the damage and neglect of the old courthouse had increased since 1965. The public restrooms in the basement had been removed thanks to vandalism. The constant water seepage made it impossible to convert the area to storage space, and the wooden stairway was considered a fire hazard. The third floor, which once featured a view of the second floor courtroom, now only saw a false ceiling. The central stairwells were blocked off as a fire hazard. Evidence of roof issues manifested in pigeon droppings and buckets. A skylight, stained glass windows, and a once grand mural had been lost to time and grime. The second floor courtroom maintained its dignity, but a steel pillar now stood in front of the judge, anchored in the basement and stretching all the way up to help brace the roof. The ceiling in the jury room sagged to just six and a half feet above the conference table. And of course, what little space there had been in 1965 was long gone by 1982. The bond referendum was rejected by the voters in March of 1982, but that didn't stop the Dewitt County Board from pursuing a new courthouse and the opposition fighting them. As the debate raged on and the politics played out, backup plans for the planned courthouse site were being developed. If the county didn't come through with its bid for the land, then it would be developed into a retail shopping center. Despite continued obstacles, including litigation and bidding issues in 1984, the new DeWitt County Courthouse was finally built, finished in 1986. Less than 100 years after the cornerstone was first dedicated, the 1893 courthouse was demolished. In 1994, an auction was planned for the May Days Festival. One of the pieces to be auctioned off was a stained glass skylight salvaged from the 1893 courthouse before it was demolished. Upon seeing the notice of the auction in the local newspaper, two DeWitt County women, Myrna Tucker and Charlotte O'Dee, seized the opportunity to salvage a bit of history thought to be lost to demolition. The women contacted Mike Richards of the Renaissance Studio in Farmer City, an expert on stained glass. They then sought the approval of the County Property Committee and then met with the DeWitt County Board. The result was an appropriation of $1,600 to restore the stained-glass skylight. The window itself was six feet across and featured eight other stained-glass pieces that formed an 18-foot flattened dome. At the time of the restoration, the skylight had been covered for years by a false ceiling and was covered with years of grime and soot. The design was unintelligible. After being stored in the old jailhouse to prevent further damage, Mike Richards transported the stained glass skylight to his studio and began the painstaking restoration process, which included cleaning and resoldering every piece, rebuilding the window from the center outward. New lead stripping was used on both sides to prevent sagging. Lead solder and a top coat of putty made it water and weatherproof. It was discovered that the skylight had been made in the form of a bullseye the center featured hand-painted panes of stained glass depicting a young man in medieval dress playing a violin for the man in the moon, who's depicted in profile. Architect Henry Elliott, who designed the 1893 courthouse, designed the dome to include the skylight that would have been seen from the first floor rotunda. Unfortunately, the name of the artist who painted the skylight is currently unknown. The restored skylight now hangs in the southern window of the current courthouse. In the early 2000s, there was some discussion of rebuilding DeWitt County's second courthouse, the one built in 1849, as part of Looking for Lincoln, a state tourism project that highlights Abraham Lincoln-related sites, which includes New Salem near Petersburg and the Postville Courthouse in Lincoln. However, nothing came of the project. A mural of the 1893 courthouse can be seen in the post office, and a picture of it with the bell tower is on display outside of periodicals in the library. These, along with the stained glass window hanging in the current courthouse, are a few public reminders of the great building that once stood in the center of the square. Thank you for joining us. For more information about the Vespasian Warner Public Library District, please go to vwarner.org.